want to remind us our mission. Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want everybody to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and live their life for him. We're going to continue in our series, and we've been calling this series How God Makes Bad Men Good, the book of Romans. So if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 25 of Romans chapter 4, a sermon I'm calling An Example of Faith. Um, I heard, in preparing for this, I, I heard a story of a man, and this man got really sick. And so what he did is, when we get sick, we call our doctor. And he called his doctor at the office, and he was expecting to get the receptionist, and lo and behold, his doctor answered the phone. And, and he's telling his doctor, Here, here's what's going on with me. Here's all my symptoms. And the doctor said, you know what? I know what's wrong with you. There's no need for you to come in. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a prescription. I'm going to write it to your pharmacy. I want you to go to your pharmacy. I want you to pick up the prescription, and I want you to take it exactly as I prescribed it. Now, if this man is going to respond, there's a number of things he, that has to happen. First, he has to believe it's actually his doctor that he's speaking to on the other end of the phone, even though he can hear him, but he cannot see him. The man had to listen to his voice, and then he had to do what he was instructed to do, right? There were some other options. He could have just laid in bed and got all the warm and fuzzies, how he has a doctor that cares for him, and just how wonderful that is. He could have thanked God that he had a doctor that was only not only knowledgeable enough to know what's going on with him, but had, had the, the, the heart to tell him what to do and to take time to speak to him. And he, he could have just gotten all just a, amazing that he's got this doctor that's just so personal. But if the man did not act on what he's been told to do, then he'd still be sick as a dog, right? What he needed to do, he needed to get up, preferably get dressed, go get in his car, and then drive to the pharmacy and ask if there's a prescription with his name on it. After all, there's lots of prescriptions with lots of names on it, right? And then he had to get his prescription, he had to take the prescription as his doctor prescribed it. And it's only when he did all of this would he begin to feel better. You see, it's because he heard from his doctor and he had faith in his doctor and he acted in accordance of what he was told to do by the one he had faith in, right? Well, today we come to Romans chapter 4. And we are going to be given an example of faith. The Apostle Paul, since Romans 1.1, has been walking us through the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And the good news is how bad men and women can be made right with a holy God. Read with me in Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. If you remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that God exists. That God put a knowledge in the, the trees and the mountains and the skies and the stars. And so we can look at all that. We know God exists. And then God gave us the conscience. So every single one of us, we are accountable to God. In Romans chapter 2, Paul proved that religion saves no one. And then in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
The Apostle Paul wanted the entire world to know the vehicle by which somebody receives this gift of God is by faith. Grace is not something we achieve. Grace is something we receive, and we receive this gift by faith. I think that the Jewish people, when they read what the Apostle Paul wrote, they didn't like that because they believed that being Jewish saved them. They thought that keeping all the festivals and, and obeying the, the sanitary laws and obeying this, the, this, the um, ceremonial laws and all that, and just being Jewish, they thought all of that saved them. And to that, Paul says, no. Like I said earlier in the book, Paul anticipates this pushback from a Jewish reader. And now it's like he even anticipates it even more because of what he said. And so Paul is going to go to one man and use this one man as the linchpin argument for this salvation by faith thing. Now think about it. There's a lot of examples Paul could go to. There's lots of examples. But we're going to see that Paul goes to the very first Jew as an example of salvation by grace through faith. And this example is none other than Father Abraham. In Romans chapter 3, Paul talked about being justified. And if you remember what that justified, we're justified by faith in Christ. Paul said the law cannot save anyone. The law was designed only to reveal sin. The law cannot remove sin. He even said that salvation by faith was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, anybody that read that might get a little upset. They might, especially the Jewish leader, there might be pushback. And they're gonna, I can almost hear them saying, really, Paul? Do you think that we're saved by grace and faith? And you're saying that the Old Testament, the law and the prophets said that? Prove it. Prove it, Paul. Where does it say that in the Old Testament? Paul knew the Jews were going to ask that. And Paul knew this because Paul understood the Jewish mindset. And Paul understood the Jewish mindset because he himself was a Jew. And what the Jews believed, they believed that God looked at the universe and the world and said, you know, this guy, Abraham, he's the most righteous man. And so they believed that God chose Abraham because he was a righteous man. And so to them, Abraham was kind of the MVP of their faith, right? He is the poster child of Judaism. And so Paul, being a great attorney... He calls his primary eyewitness. Let's read about it in Romans chapter 4, beginning in 1. It says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he'd had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one, salvation is a gift by faith. If it was by works, everyone would be obligated to work for it. Verses one through four of Romans chapter four is very cut and dry. Sometimes when Paul writes, his writing is kind of difficult to understand, but not these first four verses, right? I would say this is very easy to understand. That is, is if you want to understand. Paul asks a question. It's almost like Paul says, hey, let's take Abraham as our example. If Abraham was justified, that that word we've been talking about, and justified means 
just as if you had never sinned. If Abraham was justified by works, Abraham would really have something to boast about, right? But that's not what the book of Genesis says. Genesis says that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness because if Abe had to work for it, then it's not a gift. That's essentially what Paul said there in verses one through four. If you're not familiar with Abraham, let me bring you up to speed with Father Abraham. Paul is referring to an incident that happened all the way back in the book of Genesis to a man by the name of Abram when he was 86 years old. If you want to, you can read it for yourself. It's found in Genesis chapter 15, but it kind of goes like this. Uh, God says, hey, Abraham, let's go for a walk. And he takes him outside his tent and he looks up at the stars of the sky and he says, hey, Abram, you see all those things? Can you count them? That's what your descendants are gonna be like. He says, your descendants are gonna be like more numerous than the stars of heaven. I don't know about you, but I picture it's like one of those days when the, when the moon is low and the, the, the sky is clear and you can see the stars and there's, just, there's more than you can possibly count. God pointed up the stars and hey, Abe, you see those things? That's how many kids you have. You, that's what your descendants are going to be like. And the Bible says Abraham believed God. Now remember, this happened when Abraham was 86 years old. Not exactly a spring chicken, right? This is kind of difficult to believe. But the Bible says that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. You know, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't feel like God's working through me. Maybe you're not old enough yet. That's a joke. God works through people of all ages. I've got a bunch of jokes. I need you to laugh with me on these, okay? There's more coming, I promise. But God promised, made, he made this promise. And in Genesis chapter 15, it says that Abraham believed God. Now, our New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. Our Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The the word believed in Hebrew is the word aman. That sounds like amen to me, right? Do you hear it? Allow me to loosely paraphrase what Genesis 15 says. It says, Abe looked up, and God said, hey, check those out. Can you count all those? That's how many kids you're going to have. And Abe says, amen, right on. Let's do that. That's awesome. I love that plan, God. And God says, hey, Abe, because you believed what I said, that I can do that, that I can do the impossible, that now I'm going to count that as being righteous before me. Righteous before God. That's what it said. So question, think about this. What did Abe do? Nothing. He just simply believed. Look at Romans 4, verse 3 again. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So when Paul writes that, he is quoting the Old Testament. Specifically, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Let's read it. The word of God says, and he, that's speaking of Abraham, and Abraham believed the Lord, and he, meaning God, counted to him, Abraham, as righteousness. The word counted that is in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, is the Greek word logizomai. And and in in, uh, Genesis 15, 6, the word for counted is the word hasav. You know what those words mean? They mean the same thing. They the exact same definition. They both mean to reckon, to, to count on, to compute, or to calculate, to, to count over. 
to take into account, to make an account of, or to impute. Do you remember what I've been saying the book of Romans is about? It's about the imputed righteousness of Christ. Okay, so picture Abraham, he's standing before God. And so Abraham, he's, he's spiritually bankrupt, standing before a holy, perfect God. And as soon as he says, amen, and trusted God, the count switched, okay? It's like God took his righteous account and imputed it to Abraham's spiritually dead account, If you will, God did a wire transfer, if you will, from this righteous account into the spiritually dead account of of Abe. So God counted it or God imputed it as righteousness. How does God make bad women and men and women good? That's the book of Romans, the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, this is not what God said. It's not like God said, well, Abraham, I'm so glad you said amen to what I just said. Here's what I need you to do. Now I need you to keep 413 different laws. I need you to keep the festivals. I need you not do anything on Saturday. And I need you never to eat pork and blah, 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 blah. That's not what God said. There's an old saying that goes, well, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. That's not true in this case. Because Abraham believed God, that he's really talking to the creator of the universe. And so God is speaking to Abe, and Abe believed him, and God had imputed that as righteousness to Abe. But this is what the Jewish mindset believed. They kind of believed, well, if I do my part, then God will do his part. With that way of thinking, salvation is a quid pro quo kind of, kind of deal. If I keep the law, then, then God will see me as a good person. That's what the Jews believed. Here is one huge problem with that way of thinking. God declared Abraham as righteous right around 1970 B.C. Okay? And then God gives the law to Moses about 1470 B.C. That means there is a five-century gap of time from when God declared Abraham as righteous and when God gave the law to Moses. So to say that someone is made right with God by keeping the law, that'd be kind of like saying, um, Abraham, or excuse me, William Shakespeare can gain salvation if he uses iPhone all the time. I'm sure Shakespeare would go, what in the world is an iPhone? Well, that's what Abraham would have said to the law. Abraham and his response becomes the prosecution's primary evidence that any sinful person is made right with a holy God by faith. And that's why Abraham becomes the case study no less than four times in the New Testament for salvation by faith alone. Because up to this point, Abraham wasn't saved by keeping the law. The law wasn't even invented yet. Well, Moses wouldn't be born for another 400 years, so the law didn't even exist. So he's making the case that salvation comes by faith and not works. Not even circumcision saved you. Look in verse number 9 of Romans chapter 4. It says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? For we say that faith is counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after but before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised. So the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Here's my second point for us this morning. Point number two. Salvation is a gift by faith that is available to anyone. So God declared Abe righteous at the age of 86. Fast forward 13 years, and at the age of 99, Abraham gets circumcised. Do we need to talk about that? Okay, wow. (laughs) That's talking like full committal. Can you imagine how painful that is? I'll leave that for your own study. But anyways, Abraham's an old man. And God declared him as righteous, not because of what he had done, but because of his belief that God could do anything. You want God to use you? Hey, I just don't feel like God is working through me. I, I, I need God to use me. This is what you do. Say amen to where God is leading you and go. I heard a story of a reporter that was interviewing a lady that was 104 years old. And he, and he asked her, he said, what is the benefits of being 104 years old? And she thought for a minute and said, no peer pressure. But that, 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 that Abraham is 86, and he says, amen, let's do that. That's what faith looks like. But let's explain a little more what faith is. Pick up your Bibles, Romans 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. So is who is the father of us all? As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Point number three for us this morning. Salvation is a gift by faith because salvation is entirely of God and not us. So that's how Paul explains it to the church in Rome. He says that this salvation is a gift by faith. Look, listen to how Paul explained it to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so with this, Abraham becomes the poster child of salvation by faith alone. So that everyone who believes, just like Abraham, becomes Abe's offering because Abe was the first. So question, think about this. How does anybody get saved? How is anybody reborn? How is anybody made right with God? The simple answer is do what Abe did. Place all of your faith in Jesus Period. Abraham, his faith was in God. He didn't realize Jesus is to come, but he knew something was going to happen, and he took God at his word, and he believed him. Paul is going to explain this in greater detail when we get to Romans chapter 10. Let's read a little snippet of it. Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, I do want to say that is just the beginning, that works are not required for salvation, but if you grow in your faith, eventually works will come. 
You see, works don't save you, but works will verify that your salvation is real. Martin Luther once said, we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. It's just that simple, amen. It's that simple belief that makes you right with God. You know, that's not what the majority of our world believes. The vast majority of the world believes that you're saved by something that you do. You know, the truth is we don't have to leave our town to, to hear this. You know, how many churches in Warland would disagree that salvation comes by faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone? How many? According to Google, not a terribly reliable source, but this week I use Google. According to Google, there's 18 churches in our town. How many of them would say that salvation is solely from God and is by nothing we do? Not all of them. Not everyone would say that salvation is a gift of God that's received by faith, right? In fact, I would argue that there's more churches that teach something different than that than agree with that. I heard a story of a lady that was arguing with her pastor about this. And the lady said, you know what? I think salvation is kind of like being in a rowboat. And if you put one oar in faith and one oar in works and you row, it gets you to where you want to go. Her pastor said, that's a great illustration. There's only one big flaw with that. Nobody's getting to heaven in a rowboat, okay? There is one work that saves a sinner, and that is the work that Jesus did on the cross. In August of 2020, there was a survey done by the Cultural Research Center at Christian, um, Arizona Christian University. Their research showed that 52% of confessing Christians, those people that call themselves Christians, believed in works-based salvation. And then to, to go along with that, 46% of Christians, they expect eternal salvation based off their confession of sin and acceptance of Jesus as their Savior. That means that according to this survey, the majority of people that call themselves Christians aren't really Christians. Because you can say that you're a Christian, it doesn't mean it's true. I can call myself a cheese pizza, doesn't mean it's true, right? If you ever had the chance to speak to somebody and ask them about their faith, here's the question that I use. Maybe you've actually heard me say this to you. But the question is, if you die tonight and you went to heaven and God's at the gates of heaven, it doesn't happen this way, just pretend it does. And God said, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer? Well, at least 52% of American Christians would say, because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I'm a good person. Do you hear it? Because Jesus died for my sins and I'm a good person. That's what the majority of professing American Christians say. But that's not what the Bible says. Read in Romans chapter 4 verse 16. It says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. There's that word again. We've been talking about it. Grace, it means unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, sure generosity, grace. Have you ever spent a lot of time with guys that were really something back in the day? You know, those great football players and had their glory days. Usually the story goes something like this about the time they scored four touchdowns at the homecoming game or the day they set the, the state high jump record or insert whatever glory they study, you know, thing they can do. Now imagine, if you will, 
the salvation is obtained by something, some great work. And, and now you've got to spend eternity with these guys, hearing these stories about how they, they got to heaven based off of what they, my ears are bleeding just thinking about it, right? Fortunately, salvation is not based off of what we do, but it's solely based on what a Christ has done. So there will be no bragging in heaven. Did you know that? There will be nobody bragging in heaven. Nobody's going to be singing Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. That's a song that's never been sang in heaven. One reason, that it, the only reason that anybody gets there is because what, for what Christ has done in our place. That's what Abraham believed. He believed God could do anything. He believed that the promise of God meant something. That if God said something, it's going to happen just exactly the way God said it would happen. Abraham didn't have believe, well, God said this, and we're going we're gonna to change the plan just a little bit. God can do anything, but I'm going to take the plan of God and change it just to scotch. That's not what Abraham believed. For us, it should be something like this. When I get to heaven... It's only going to be because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross in my place. In fact, I shouldn't even go. I should go to hell for all eternity. But by the grace of God, his righteousness covers my unrighteousness because he paid the price for me. That's what we should say. Look at verse 17 again. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so, your, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he had considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. Point number four for us this morning. Salvation is a gift by faith because God is the only one that can do the impossible. Abraham essentially said, you know what, God? You can do anything. It's not like Abraham brought God into the equation. Abraham understood that God was the entire equation. But here's what we do. Okay, we've got a problem, and God's the answer, and I'm going to take God, and I'm going to improve upon what he did just a little bit. I'm going to help God out with the problem, because God can only get me so far, and I have to add to what God has done. That's not what Abraham believed, right? God said it. Abraham believed it. End of story. So if God can figure out how an 86-year-old man who's going to have a kid, then God can do anything. And think about this. God didn't tell Abraham this one time. He told him this several times. In fact, there was this one time when God told Abraham this, that Sarah was listening and she heard it and she laughed. And then God calls her on the carpet. In all fairness, she was really old too. Not as old as Abraham, but come on. <laughs> she, she's, she's no spring chicken. <clears throat> Picture, if you will, you go to your mailbox and you open your mailbox and you pull it. There's an envelope and a letter and, oh, it's a birth announcement. I love babies. Who's having a baby? You open it up. It's Clinton Sally Carneal. What? <laughs> if you don't know Clinton Sally, wonderful members of our church. And if that would be what that'd be like. It'd be like, is someone playing a joke on me? No, God's really doing something. Kind of tough for an 89-year-old lady to conceive a child, right? So she laughed. But here's my point on that. 
A moment of faithlessness on her part does not undo the faithfulness of God. Do you remember back the day you got saved? I remember mine. It's October 19, 2003. That day I felt like I could run through a brick wall if Jesus asked me to. And then sometime later I'm like, are you sure, God? Me, you want me to do something? You know, our lack of faith in God doesn't undo the promises of God. And before anybody wants to talk to me about cheap grace, we're going to get to that when we get to Romans chapter 6. But here's the bottom line. Jeremiah 32, 27. God says this. He says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The answer is an emphatic no. Nothing's too hard for God. But here's our problem. Our problem is we let our circumstances obscure our view of God, right? Because we have a big God. He's huge. And we take these problems. They seem big to us. But in, in comparison to God, they're, they're nothing. Now, we have a huge son. But do you know you can block out our son with a quarter? You take a quarter and you put it and you draw that quarter close enough to your eye. You can completely block out the sun. Don't stare at the sun, but you can do that. That's what we do with our problems. When we get our problems so close and we go, God, I can't see you. Because you're, you're allowing your problems to obscure your view of God. Here's what Abraham did. This is what we should do too. Abe knew that his circumstances weren't everything. God said, Abe, you're going to have kids. And God said that when Abe was 86 and Sarah was 76. Well, what happens? Time happens. That's what happens. 13 years later, he's 99, still no kids. I picture Abraham, he goes to the mirror in his tent getting ready for work. I don't think he had a mirror, but just pretend he did. He's getting ready to shave, and he looks in that mirror and sees an old 99-year-old wrinkly guy, and he thinks... God said, I'm going to be a daddy. Is today the day I'm going to be a daddy? And he's 99, and, and he says, I'm going to be a daddy someday. Sarah's 989. Picture, if you will, an eight, picture an 89-year-old woman coming to your office and going, hey, I'm here for my pregnancy test. I'm like, mm. You'd have to like muster up all the bedside manner to say, lady, I think your biological clock quit ticking 50 years ago. But they believed, right? So here's Abe back when he's 86, and he says, you know what, God can do anything. You know, his name was Abram. You know what the word Abram means? It means exalted father. Picture you at the neighborhood block party, and somebody comes up, hey, my name's Bob, what's your name? Oh, my name, exalted father. Wow, how many kids do you have? None. It'd be like calling me Pastor Chiselabs. I know, right? That wasn't that funny. <laughs> kind of was. But anyways, well, that's when he was 86. But you know what? It only gets worse. When he turns 99, God says, hey, hey, Abram, I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm going to change your name. Your name's not going to be Abram, exalted father. Your name is going to be Abraham. It means the father of multitudes. You know, if it was me, I'd be thinking, hey, God, you're just being mean now, Right? It'd be like going from Pastor Chisel Labs to Pastor Mr. Olympia. But that, that's what Abe thought. He had, he had faith in God. Look what happens. Look in verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning that promise 
of God, but he grew strong in the faith and he gave glory to God. You know, if you know your Bible, you're probably thinking, hey, pastor, what about the whole Hagar Ishmael thing? What about that? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, God made this promise to Abram that he's going to be a father. And then chapter 16 rolls around and some time passes. Sarah gets tired of waiting on God and she essentially takes matters into her own hand and she turns her handmaiden, her servant, Hagar, into have relations with her husband, which is a really, really bad idea. But the Bible tells the story, warts and all, here's what really happened. And Hagar has a son named Ishmael. And then after chapter 16, you know what comes next? Chapter 17, you're right. Because he says, God promised a child, you're going to have a child. And Abraham, Ab, Abraham says, Abram says, hey, what about Ishmael? And God says, nope, not that child. Not the child you had with Hagar, but the child you're going to have with Sarah. This happened when Abe was 99. And you might be thinking, well, he's, he's, he's wavering on the promises of God. Let me tell you, struggling is not the same as doubting. You can struggle with your faith. I've struggled with my faith and the, and the issues many, many times. And it only causes me to grow in my faith. Struggling with your faith is not unbelief. It's not the same as doubting. Kind of like temptation is not the same as sin. You can be tempted all the time, but that's not sin. It's only when you yield to temptation does it become sin, but temptation is not a sin in itself. And so at the age of 99, God promises Abe that he's going to have a son, and then he gets circumcised. Do we need to talk about that? But anyways, Abe is showing full commitment. Abe is saying, you know what? I'm not only burning the bridges, I'm, I'm burning the ships. There's no turning back. I'm full committal. Abe knew that God's promises meant something. To all the dads in the room, you ever made a promise to your kids and then you forgot? What happened? Dad, you promised. Dad, you said this. You promised, Dad. That's what our kids do, right? But in this situation, it wasn't the kids reminding. It was God remembering The father never, ever forgets his promise. Look in verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do anything. Excuse me. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was fully convinced. It was not, oh man, I really hope God's gonna come through with this. Oh man, oh, God can do this, right? God, no, it's like God's got this. Then what happened? Verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, God said it, Abraham believed it, and that was it. It's like done deal. That's what faith is. It's hearing from God and believing it, fully and accepting it. It's done deal. In 2009, Bitcoin came out. Back then, a cryptocurrency was a weird thing, and I didn't understand what it is. And to tell you the truth, I still don't understand what it is. What if in 2009, God told you, I want you to invest $10,000 in Bitcoin? What would you do? Hopefully, you go out and invest $10,000 in Bitcoin. December of 2020, Bitcoin was selling at $19,157.16. You know what that means? That your $10,000 investment would be worth $1.9 trillion today. 
Like, man, I wish I heard from God on that one, right? Well, God doesn't tell us to invest in some cryptocurrency. But he does say, place your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, place all your faith in Jesus Christ. How much more valuable is Jesus than 1.9 trillion? If I got Jesus in one hand and 1.9 trillion, you go, that's trash. What is that? Jesus is so much more valuable. So I've got a question for you. What do you do with the promises of God? Think about it. What do you do with the promises? I underline them, Pastor. I underline them. I highlight them. I memorize them. That's great. What else do you do? Say amen. You read my notes. Say amen. Believe them. Apply them and live by them. You know, there's an old hymn. It happens to be on page 271 of the Baptist hymnal called Standing on the Promises. Anybody know that song? Sing the chorus with me. It goes like this. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Good singing, church. That was good. I like how you held the note, too. That was good. So that's what Abraham did. He stood on the promises of God. God said it. Abraham believed it. End of story, right? But I want you to know it's not only for Abe. It's not only for him. Read verse 23. But the word, it was counted to him. We're not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here's my fifth and last point for us this morning. Salvation is a gift by faith that was paid at a heavy price for everyone. The imputed righteousness of Christ isn't only for Abraham. It's for everyone who would say amen and believe in God's plan of salvation. It's not only for the chosen ones. It's for everyone. You know what that tells us? That tells us our faith must be personal. My faith is only good enough for me. My faith's not getting my kids into heaven. Abraham has spiritual children. He didn't have any spiritual grandchildren. Faith must be personal. But what is our faith in? It must be in Christ, in his righteousness. That his righteous, he is so righteous that his blood can cover a sinner like me. That all of his goodness can cover all my badness, right? So it's not that everyone is justified. It's everyone is justified that believes Salvation is universally available, but must be personally applied to the one who believes. That verse 24 says, It was counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Who was raised from the dead? Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you believe that? Or do you believe something else? Because the only thing that's getting us to heaven, the only thing, is faith in Jesus. And if you've never called on Christ to save you, I would beg you to do that. Don't leave this building before doing that. There must come a a moment where you recognize how you don't measure up, and Jesus is perfect, and the perfect one went to the cross for imperfection. That's you and me. The Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. 
So there must be this moment where you cry out to him and you say, dear Lord, I am a sinner. But yet you love me so much that you died in my place. Lord, I want to place all of my faith in you and you alone and nothing in myself. Save me from my sins. And I say this name of Jesus Christ, amen.